0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's going on, church? This is Pastor Jay Harris here. Listen, thank you so much for tuning in to our sermon this morning. Um, We're coming to you live on Facebook. And for anybody who is not a part of the Ville Church but you tuned in, we are glad to have you here with us. Um I'm going to jump to the sermon this morning because I really want to get in on the text we're going to be going through. Um, We're going to be inside of Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. If you have your Bibles and you actually want to go there and follow along with us, um, we're going to be going through the Good Samaritan story. And I've done this story a million times, as most preachers have. And um, every time I look at it, I see something brand new in it. But the... um, I want to hit it from a new angle, right? So this week has been a hard week. I think just in you know for in the world all all together. For me personally, it's been a grievous week because of just circumstances around me and even just the stuff we hear from the news, right? This week we saw, um, you know, like we just saw where Jacob Blake was shot um, several times and left paralyzed. We saw a seventeen-year-old kid with a. Um, with an assault rifle, um, shoot three people, killing two of them, um, people praising this kid as a hero. Um, I saw a video this week where an officer, um, was crying on video talking about being pulled over by, um, other officers while, you know, she was actually in uniform and the way that she was actually treated. And so, um... Sometimes I fall back from social media and stuff because to be honest with you, I just I get so grieved that I literally can't function like it Like if I have a busy week and things to do and I need to be present with my kids sometimes the stuff that I hear um, It stops me. It slows me down. I feel weak about that sometimes or whatever and stuff but it's what it does it gets in my bones and it and it hurts me and it grieves me and I don't list these things to cop aside on what's true or what's not true or what's false or what side I stand on. And I don't say that to minimize or equalize any of these stories. It's just that the point of what I'm talking about today is that um, I want to stand over it and be human for a second, right? And actually, I think that we need to slow down and, and grieve, right? We need to grieve. It's a grievous thing that a father was shot in front of their kids eight times and paralyzed with his kids in the car when he was shot. It doesn't matter if you think he did it or not, right? It's grievous that a 17-year-old boy is walking the street with an assault rifle shooting people. It's grievous that the police officer, that police officers or law enforcement looked over to the side and saw a group of people and gave them bottled waters and thanked them for being outside at a riot with assault rifles. Let me put that in context, that statement for you, real quick. I have a family member that this week was involved in a situation where they lost it, right? I'm concerned for their mental health. And they pulled an assault rifle out on some police officers at their home. And the police officers went in and were able to actually get him, even though he refused, and take him alive. And when I read the article, the police officer said, We have training to de escalate situations. Our goal is always to de escalate it and keep everybody safe and go out and take people alive. That is our goal. I thank God for that officer. I thank God for their leadership, that that's the way they function because my cousin wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. But I also think in my mind, what if some civilians would have been there with guns and that officer would have said, hey, thank you for being here. Like the officers did with this young man who shot these people at the protest. What if he would have said, Thank you for being here? He doesn't know these people. They have no training to de escalate anything. They're just people he doesn't know, the average Joe's with guns. But imagine how reckless it would be if he said, Thank you for coming and joining the situation. So it's grievous to me that we saw civilians with assault rifles being given gratitude for their presence. They basically were deputized. Like, what are you deputizing them to do? Because you don't know them. So you don't know what they showed up to do. And what gave them the credibility? Is it the color of their skin? Right, because we have to ask some questions at that point. So long story short, as I work through these different things, I'm grieved. I'm concerned for our country corporately. I don't care what side you're on. These are all grievous scenarios. This young boy's life is going to be different forever. The people he shot, their families' lives are different forever. Jacob Blake, his life is different forever. His kids' life are different forever. I don't care who is wrong in it, right? Because we don't just not care because, hey, they caused it to themselves. That's not the posture we move in. And part of the text we're going to be going in today is going to be dealing with our heart, the biases, right? The Bible says that the heart of mankind is different desperately wicked it's deceitful you can think you are on the up and up and completely be on the wrong side of a situation so every narrative every story requires that we approach it with some kind of humility right i was recently asked by someone i was in an interview and they said um they said yeah pastor jay like you know because they think when you're pastor you know everything and we don't but he said uh what do you think god is saying to the world right now and I said to shut the heck up and they kind of stopped and looked at me like what and I was like yeah I think he's saying shut up I think he's sick of everybody talking and thinking that they can speak for him and they know what's right and their hearts are really far from him I think he wants us to actually shut up and be humble and actually try listening that's what I actually believe right so before we jump, I want to read something to you in Revelation 3. Um, you don't have to turn now. I'll read this real quick, but this is where the angel is giving a message to the church located in the city of Laodicea, right? And he says something which I think very much captures where I think we are at in the American church, probably without outside of the walls of the church that this fits as well, but I'm speaking directly to people who call themselves people of God. I think this word will land on us today, but he says, he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So they have this thing where they think that they are actually good. They are thinking they are on the right side with God in proper standing. They think they see it all clearly. But he is saying you are poor, blind, naked, and you are wretched. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see and then he says those who i'm who i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent so he confronts their blindness he calls them out you think you're rich but you poor You think you're good, but you're wretched. You are off. And he's actually telling them in mercy, not in condemnation, in mercy. He's saying, I reprove and discipline those who I love. I still love you in your wretchedness. So switch your posture and be zealous and repent. This is what he tells them there's a song by one of my favorite artists in the world stevie wonder he released in 1976 and it's called love is in need of love today right i want to read the lyrics to you really quick because it just came to mind in the midst of preaching this he says don't delay send yours in right away hate's going around breaking many hearts stop it please before it's gone too far the force of evil plans the force of evil plans to make you its possession and it will if we let it destroy everybody We all must take precautionary measures. If love and peace you treasure, then you'll hear me when I say, love's in need of love today, right? Stevie Wonder in that song, was i think feeling a, what a lot of us are feeling right now in the midst of 1976 where there was so much going on with civil rights and in race relations were just as hot as they were or they are right now even hotter right he's he's looking at the world and everybody's opinions and everything else and he's saying this version of love that we call love it's so broke that it actually needs love today it's prophetic by all means Love is in need of love today, which means that we actually need to come to a posture in a place of humility to hear the Lord, to receive ointment and salve for our blind eyes so we could actually see properly. Properly, So it requires some shutting up and some listening. It requires some zealousness, as Revelation 3 says, and repentance. Zealousness not for being right, but zealousness for repentance right and so in Luke 10 25 through 37 the text I'm gonna be in today and I'm gonna try to move to this quick um, that we this is a story many of us have heard before where God is is talking to he's giving the story of the Good Samaritan there's plenty of characters in the story but he is actually talking to a lawyer and the lawyer is slick trying to you know he's he's, he's playing games or whatever in the conversation and Jesus peeps it out and he brings him into this conversation that is dynamic um, when you actually look at what Jesus is saying and how Jesus is actually confronting his heart, his biases, um, his self righteousness, and in the way that he's actually doing it. I think there's a lot for us to learn this. So let me read this to you. Verse 25 says this It says, and behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, He's talking about Jesus to the test. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, And Jesus says to him what is written in the law how do you read it and he answered you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind mind and your neighbor as yourself and Jesus says to him you have answered correctly do this and you will live but the Lord is like hold on but he desiring to justify himself says to Jesus and who is my neighbor Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day took out he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer says, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise so let's look at this text and let's examine what's happened here right so the text says that when when jesus is telling him he says he asked He says you know he says what should I do to inherit, in, you know, eternal life or whatever? And and this guy, this lawyer, is actually a Jew, so he would have been familiar with the Shema, which is a prayer that Jews say, and twice a day they actually quote this text about loving God with all your heart. So he's very familiar with this. So he whips it out really quick. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor, right? So he hits Jesus with that straight off the bat. And let me let me make this point. I want to make it clear how important love is, right? Because we didn't put it on Hallmark cards and and everybody has their idea, which is one of the things we need to be humble to to see what God says about true love and what it looks like. Because this guy, when he's talking to Jesus, this lawyer, he thinks he has a concept of love, right? And to just make sure he's on point, he's like, yo, tell me who I should love though. Like like who exactly so I can make sure I kill this thing. So his heart is bent towards self-righteousness, right? I want to read 1 Corinthians 13 to you because the Bible speaks about love in a dynamic way that takes it back, takes it past our superficial carnal love, right? It says this, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he's telling you, you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can give away everything you have, but you can do all of these things and be a hero to everybody in the world. And they'll call you so good, so caring, all of these things, but your heart could still be completely void of love in the process. And before God, it's a dishonorable sacrifice. That's what he's telling us. Right. And so he says in verse four, he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so let me take it a step further because i think when people hear that they're like oh that sounds that's so beautiful you know i need to work on that a little bit more to get a little bit better but in luke 6 27 through 36 and i'm not going to read this whole text but the premise of the text is that god is actually saying to love your enemies it says love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you to the one who strikes you on the cheek Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. And I'm going to jump down. Verse 35, it says, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. bring you to that text and I insert it in this conversation we're having is because I don't want anybody to take the concept of love lightly and go yeah sounds beautiful sounds romantic yeah I want esteem to do that the kind of love that God is talking about is where you actually hover over all of the noise you can actually protest before cause and simultaneously praying for the person you are going at you could actually be grieving for the person who has committed the grievous offense against you standing up for what's right and standing up for justice so by no means are we saying don't stand for justice don't proclaim rightness the word of God tells us to do justice and to love mercy tells us to do this but this idea of love hovers over all of it because it's actually something that you spew out even on the worst people That text that I just read talks about, it says, yo, even sinners love people that, you know, they like. What reward is that? Love your enemy. So we're talking about a love here that requires the power of God taking a hard, fleshly heart, and making it to a heart that is actually made brand new by God through his son, Jesus. Just want you to understand what we're talking about here, right? So he says, you shall love who? You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then the Lord says, then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right. He says he's he's alt. And, and what that means is to ultimately seek their well-being as you would generally seek your own. Right. So he's saying, love the Lord, your God and your neighbor. And Jesus says, man, you hit that dead on your head. And then my man comes back and he says, and who is my neighbor? So. He's trying to define, like, like he's trying to set up his boundaries on who he could love so he could actually hit the law or whatever, and Jesus is going to come back and, and sweep his feet or whatever. But many of us, what I want us to catch or whatever is that we're very much like this guy in the story. You may be like, nah, I'm not asking who I got to love, but most of us have already drawn a line on who we got to love. Even it, it hurt our flesh a little bit to even hear me read the scripture in Luke when he says, love your enemies, those who hate you and those who abuse you. I mean, maybe you just angel- angelic like that or whatever, but for me personally, when I read that scripture, I'm like, uh, this, like, hold on, hold on, my abuser? You're like, this really what you, maybe this is a typo, but it says it, so we have to deal with it. I'm, I'm not good enough to arise to that scripture. It will take the power of God for me to actually walk that out and live that out, right? But most of us, we plug our ears and we've made lines. We think that we're lovable. We think we are like the the church in Laodicea, that we are actually good, that we are rich in loving and kindness or whatever. And God is like, nah, you wretched. You got lines for who you love. You made a line that you could actually, you know what I'm saying? You, you lowered the rim so you could slam dunk it and do the Jordan thing and feel like you was killing it. But really, the 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 joint is, is, is too high for you. It's in the cloud somewhere. You can't jump that high. You need me to jump that high. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So let's keep moving. So Jesus replies to him, and Jesus brings him into the story. He says, um, he, says, uh, Jesus, he says, Jesus replied, we're in verse 30. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And this is what he's telling the lawyer now. He says, who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead and he says now by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side so likewise a levite when he came to the place and he saw him he passed by on the other side but a samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion right so i'm going to stop right there so jesus Has already said, homie, you hit it right. You you, you told me what the law is and everything else or whatever. Yo, You need to go ahead and live like that. You need to love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. But then homie hits him with, yo, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds with this story. And so we want to be sure that we catch what, you know what I'm saying, what the rock, you know what I'm saying, is, is cooking, right? What the rock of ages is cooking for us in this right here. What is he telling us right here? Because it's just not a little cute story. Story, right so you have to think about it he's dealing with this man's self-righteousness and he's going at his biases and this is how he plays it first of all he's a jew so he esteems priests levites are priests also and so his first people that he talks about who walk by the person who has been robbed are the priests and the levite now when it comes to samaritans who seems to be heroic in this story, who's who's painted out to be the one who is a neighbor Samaritans were considered half-breed Jews that were unclean, unfit for service, and Jews thought that they were absolutely disgusting. So he messes with his bias, so he actually pulls out his his one of the, somebody who is his enemy or who he has disdain for. So you could just imagine in modern day, it would be like Jesus is talking to a Democrat, you know, and he and he lets the Samaritan be a Republican or vice versa. He's talking to a Republican and he lets the Samaritan be a Democrat. He's messing with his categories. He's messing with what he believes and what he has actually painted in this carnal idea of what righteousness actually is. And he's just kicking all of that over, messing it up for homeboy, right? He's dealing with his prejudices, right? And so, and you got to, one of the things too is that in this time that they're in, people would have been identified by their garments right so he this guy would have known you know the this 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 uh priest that went by he would have known if this was a priest by this guy's clothing right the levi would have known if this is somebody he messes with by his clothing but in the story the person who's been robbed is nameless and they've been stripped down they have nothing they're just broken naked beaten bruised so they so the the object in the story is actually basically faceless and clothless, He doesn't have an identity, right? And this is a big deal because I believe that Jesus was intentional about doing that in the story because in their self-righteousness that Jesus is pointing out, they probably are very much like this lawyer was when he says, well, who is my neighbor? Well, if they could have identified the guy on the ground, they would have been like, oh, he's one of us. Let's help homeboy out. Let's help him out. So one of the points that Jesus is actually jamming at in this story is that these boundaries we draw, these these buckets, these are the good people. These are the bad people. This is their uniform. This is the righteous political platform. This is the evil political platform. He's pointing at how these buckets blind us and they take out the heart inside of us that God has called it leaves us blind it leaves us wretched and it deceives us to think we are rich wise good and we are everything but that so i believe jesus crafts this story and narrative to particularly jab at these things in this guy but let's say they were dressed good let's say they were dressed up like somebody they identified with perhaps the story be different and we'd be reading about them and we'd go, we say, yeah, these guys are heroes. Man, the way they stopped and they actually cared for this guy. But that happens to us all the day in the media. We hear stories about people, whatever, and we just we, we just credit them as being good because they have on all of the right stuff, right? Kids, if they have a gun hanging on their shoulder or whatever, they, they're dressed up, they look like the good people. So we get manipulated and fooled like that all the time, our biases. Get exposed. So Jesus is pointing right at that in the story, right? Jesus knows what this guy's who who his who his his crew is, right? Who his tribe is that he comes from. But nevertheless, in the story, he ends up using his tribe, the Levite, the priest, as the backdrop for what not to do, and he uses his enemy, the Samaritan, as the backdrop for what to do, right? He's, he's, he's showing them that he has found warning. He's showing them that, as I said earlier, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death, right? Two people that Jesus tells the lawyer to be like in the story. He tells him to be like the Samaritan. I'm going to finish reading the rest of the text where I stop. So the Samaritan responding completely opposite from the priest and uh, the um, Levite, verse 33, says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, the other two crossed on the other side of the street and left him to die. But it says he had compassion. This person, who he doesn't know, can't identify what tribe he's with. He has compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And he says, which of these three, Jesus asked him, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. So we see inside of the text that Jesus actually tells him to go be like the Samaritan. Jesus doesn't care about the categories. He's using them to actually expose this guy's heart and to mess with that self-righteousness righteousness in his heart. And he says, I don't care who you call a enemy, right? Because God is in the business of saving enemies. The word of God says that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins while we were in our iniquities, while we were actually Enemies of God, he still saved us. So he don't play with these buckets of categories like that. So he's telling this guy, if you're going to walk after me, if you're going to actually do, you know, the commandment of loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, let me tell you who I call a neighbor. They don't got a garment on that you, you they don't fit in your buckets. We, like, like, like I'm playing another game here. So he tells them to be like the Samaritan. And what does he tell him? He's actually calling him to identify as the injured person. He's saying process it. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, what is their circumstance? Do you consider that circumstance dire and a grievous place that you would hate to be in? Well then, well then see yourself in it. See yourself as them and respond in the way that number one, the way you see God respond to you in your relationship. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, right? We we experience God's God expresses his love for us through Jesus. Jesus walks in human flesh and lives out righteousness. He deals with circumstances and situations perfectly in a way that's honorable before God he leaves a perfect example for us he leaves his word himself for us to look at and be nourished by and to be able to find truth. so we get that from God and then we turn to our neighbor and we identify with our neighbor even when they're faceless even when we can't when they're not a part of our tribe even when they are the enemy right we deal with them the way we want to be treated. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they kind of were talking at me, like saying that, like, you know, pretty much kind of play me on some kind of like naiveness because I was being merciful to somebody that was clearly racially blind and saying some kind of stuff that was all base or whatever. And, 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 um, And I understood where they were coming from and what it even looked like to them, but I responded to the person. I said, hey, man, I said, I'm not naive. I know what time it is. But I'm like, I serve a God that while I was out here robbing, stealing, conniving running scams and thought I was completely right in it a God who still saved me from my sin so I don't deal with people and just and you know all the time as God graces me and go you you are that you're that and then I'm just done with them there's times where I'm, I'm done with folks but there's also times where I'm like that actually doesn't mean anything because I feel like God is calling me to sit with you and talk to you and share truth with you. The same way when I was plugging my ears, he kept doing to me and whispering in my ear and sending people to invade my wretchedness with truth. That doesn't escape me in the matter. It escapes me often because my flesh is wretched and it's selfish. And it just wants to go, I don't mess with the Samaritans like that. I will mess with these people like that. I don't mess with them people like that. That's what it wants to do. But this word tells me to love my enemies. Y'all with me so far? So he tells them to be like the Samaritan and be neighborly like that. But he also is telling them at the same time, be like the man on the ground. Be like the guy on the ground, right? Because we all are like him at the end of the day. Jesus finds us stranded, broken, bruised, in our sin, on the way to a certain death Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God all nobody's coming up to Jesus or coming before the Lord on that day with they resume out it's gonna be a bad day for you but God sends his son Jesus to save us when we are stranded and broken and lost in our sin In John 3, 16, once you get past the part where he came and he died for the whole world and people love quoting that scripture, but you can, and it's an amazing scripture, but you have to keep reading on because it says, it says that he he didn't come to condemn. He came to save people, right? Because they were already lost. He says we are already condemned in our sin. It's not that you're good and then you messed up, so you need to get, get back good. We are lost. He came to save the day. This is why we call the gospel we preach. It means good news. Because when, we, when God empowers us to be humble and believe the word and go, my God, my sin is condemned and separated me from God, and I have no answer. God, I am in a situation If I die before you, your judgment will be righteous. My handprints are all on the ugliest things that have ever happened in this world. I get it. I've betrayed you. I have offended a holy and righteous king. Wrath is coming. When we see that, and then Jesus comes in and goes, I died for your sins. I died. If you believe by faith, That I laid on the cross and that wrath, God didn't make the wrath disappear that he had for you. He took it and he put it on me. God released his wrath. That's what the cross is. It is God releasing releasing his wrath on Jesus for all of us that would become his children. So we get, God says, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to wipe away your sins. He says in Romans 8, there is no more condemnation for you. Don't go back to slavery trying to be good and everything else or whatever, trying to earn your way. I've already made you my child. He says, when my spirit leads you, you know know that thing whispering in your ear saying you ain't enough, you ain't doing enough, you're a failure. You know it's Satan talking in your ear because in Romans 8, he says, when my spirit is leading you, all it's telling you is that I am your father. You, you ain't you an ain't orphan trying to earn your way into my presence. You are my child. Rest in that. For every wrong, you know, wiped it away. Put the wrath on Jesus. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Atonement for all of our sins. For all of our sins. For the children of God, he is the atonement. The wrath goes to him. Jesus' perfect resume goes to you. And then in the meantime, because you will stumble every day, God sanctifies us. He's in the process. He gives us his, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of our heart. It's what empowers us to love properly, to to even esteem to loving the enemy. It doesn't make any sense to us, but it's like, my God, I grieve over this stuff. I have opinions, but I'm just grieved that a 17-year-old boy just killed some people. I'm grieved that a father has been shot eight times. I'm grieved that his kids were there to see that and his family and friends. I'm grieved that even the officers that did it have to deal with it, whether they care or don't care. It's a tragedy either way you look at it. I'm grieved that our sin is so prevalent in, in us and in our world that these horror stories... Are what are normal. God gives us a spirit, the Holy Spirit that makes us alive. So if you don't know him, you don't know him, you're here today because God is speaking to you. You didn't just roll up on this. He's speaking to you and he's calling you into a relationship with him. He's calling you into a relationship with him. You don't have to say a fancy prayer. When, when I end this video, you can drop on your knees and you can say, God, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. I believe you sent Jesus to come into my heart. Father, Lord, please send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me and bring my heart alive. Father, Lord, let me hear what you hear. Take my blind eyes and give me ointment and salve that I could actually see. And then give me the power to wake up and walk it out every day. And please, Lord, help me to remember your words in Romans 8. Romans 8, Father Lord, that I'm not a slave trying to earn my place. That you, by your grace and mercy, have gifted me salvation. But it wasn't free. It cost Jesus his life. That's what that's about. If you heard people talking about church and everything before, whatever, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the good news, right? So let me end with this right here. So Jesus confronts the heart of the lawyer. He reorients his whole posture from who is my neighbor to what a neighbor actually is and what it looks like and how that functionally works. And what I want to leave you all with today and what I want to encourage you with is is revelation, right? I want to leave you with Revelation because this text, um, he says at the end here, he says in verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He says, so be zealous and repent. He confronts their blindness, their their, their, self-righteousness. They are deceived in thinking that they are rich says that they have prospered, that they're prosperous, that they have no need of anything. But he's saying, no, it's quite the opposite. You're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But after he confronts them, cause it's mercy, right? It's mercy that they are walking off a cliff. And he says, hold on. You think you're going the right way, but you're going the wrong way. That's God's love. So God is confronting some of us. He's not saying, oh, you're a mess and condemning you. He, in an act of love, is sanctifying us and confronting our hearts. And in 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Just to let you know, this is love. Discipline is, me disciplining you is not about me hating you. This is about me actually loving you. Me reproving you is about me actually loving you. And he says, so switch your posture up. Be zealous and repent. This is how we grow. This is how we grow. Right. You can't teach anybody who's not humble enough to be teachable. They have to be in a humble spot of saying, I don't know it all. So I receive what you're giving to me. God is telling them, receive and let your posture be that you're zealous and repent because you're not. You're starting off from condemned and have been saved. Right. You are saved, and I'm sanctifying you, which means you don't know every single thing. And so God, what he he promises is that the Holy Spirit will lead us into his light. So every day is confronting misunderstandings. It's not condemning us saying you're wrong and you're out. It's teaching us the same way. Grab our kids and we teach them and we show them. We show them. They, 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 they. When they trust us and we have credibility with us, they go, okay. This is kind of scary, but Dad, I got you. You, you i with you. I got your hand. You can do this. You can make this happen. I believe in you. God is walking with us like that all the time, right? Encouraging us, showing us our error, because He wants to grow us. He wants our good. So don't be zealous in being right. Be zealous in repentance. Isaiah, when he came before the Lord in his temple, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. That's his experience with the Lord. It's not, my God, here I am, Lord. I've been killing it out here. You should see how I've been getting down. He falls on God's mercy my god you are holy beyond what i ever could even imagine woe unto me that next part of isaiah says then a seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for we'll end with that today Be zealous in your repentance and glory to God because when Jesus, when he sent his son Jesus and he touches us, he he takes our guilt away and he atones for our sins. It is the good news. It's the gospel. Church, I love you. I pray that this is a blessing to you. I pray that that it's encouraging to you. Um, Shout out to everybody tuned in today. Please share this message with people that you think it'll be a blessing to that need to hear it. I love you, Bill Church.